Hello! Welcome! This is the Push and Shout Podcast. Uh, I'm Skip Sigmatic. This is Brutal Powder. This is with me today. Uh, we're a day late. Sorry about that. It's his fault. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, you know what? We can just go ahead and talk about it. What, why, why did okay, you delay so this podcast basically, for all of our fans? Um, I've been doing nothing but math since noon yesterday. Like I, I okay, it's gonna be boring maybe if some of you are pussies or whatever, but you know you're gonna have to endure it just like me. Uh, for this class, it's called math economics. It's hard as shit, and the material just takes so much time to work through that we we don't do exams in class. Um, we're we're given them and then we have the night to do them. And so this time he released it a little earlier than usual, which wasn't a good omen, and. Uh, Oh my god. Oh my god. One problem, part B of question number one, took me from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. Like, I was considering just staying up all night to do it, but you actually turn it in at 5 p.m. today. So I wanted to at least, like, sleep so that I'd have the sanity to check through it carefully today. Um, yeah, it's just been. It's just been have you considered crazy. that maybe you're a casual? And it doesn't take most people that long. Um, <laughs> I've considered that, but uh, no, Ev- everybody's having trouble with this. It's uh, quite the event, and it's compounded on by um, him sending us like several emails while we're working on it. Like, oh, that was a typo. It's got to be this now, and so you got to go back and redo it. Like, it's just a fucking nightmare. But that's done. It's a big weight off the shoulders. Get to chill out. And talk video games. Yeah, well, speaking of... uh, That's a perfect transition you've given me, because speaking of uh, tedious things that you have to do over and over that you hate doing and that take very long, and video games, uh, I'm getting pretty frustrated with Bloodborne. Why? That's part of... I can't really figure it out yet. And I I tweeted today that I was, like, done with it, and I think that was an overreaction to being frustrated with the game and and angry tweeting. Uh, Although, I, I... I get that feeling every single time I play the game. And it, I don't even have to be... Like, it's not like I'm just stuck somewhere and, and unable to, to, to continue. That's how I felt with, like, the Bloodstarred Beast, but then I got past it and I was like, whatever. But now I'm at the, the Vicar Amelia, which isn't oh, as hard as a boss. you're still so early? Oh, yeah. I'm still oh, in the, I know God. I'm still in, like, the early game. But, you know, that's not, like, a very hard boss to me. Like, it's pretty simple. The idea to defeat it is you get behind it, you know, and... Its attacks are easier to me to uh, to see coming than it is with the uh, Bloodstarred Beast. But I just... <sighs> when I saw your tweets, I thought that you were farther than that. And so I was kind of like, ah, I guess it's just not for him. But if you're that early, then I think you might want to hold on to some hope. Because, uh, well, I mean, it doesn't look like you've relinquished all hope, but... Um, maybe hold on tighter to the hope you still have because that one, that boss was the only boss, the first boss rather, that caused me any trouble in my first playthrough. Like, Blood yeah. Beast was one attempt, Cleric Beast was one attempt, Gascoigne was two attempts, easy as shit. Vicar Amelia might have killed me like eight times or nine times. And I don't really know why. It doesn't seem like it's that hard, but... Well, exactly. Like, I, I kind of instantly figured out, like, okay, here's this attack problem. It's got an easy attack pattern and everything. Uh, but it's so demoralizing when you hit it and the the health goes down like 
one thirtieth of the bar, and it's like, fuck, this is going to be a long battle. And then you get halfway through, and you make one mistake, and one hit from that boss, depending on the on the attack, can be like three quarters of your health bar gone instantly, and that drives me crazy. Yeah, and uh, I I just like so I'm the kind of person who, okay, so now we're getting in, we're gonna get deep into this because I've been do- giving it a lot of thought because. I want to like this game, and I feel like I should like this game because I liked Dark Souls so much, and I even like Dark Souls too. And uh, fuck, uh, okay, I'm very frugal with my blood vials because. You shouldn't be. Well, when I get to zero, which happens when you're stuck on a boss, I have to say, "Well, shit, I have to fucking get more souls to buy more blood vials or grind through enemies that drop them." And then go back to the boss, and then probably lose them all again if it's a boss that I'm having trouble with. And just that feeling keeps me from chugging at all. Like, I can't do it. I I have to wait until my health is below half to chug. And that causes me to die with this particular boss because she one-hits me. And, like, mentally, I can't get past it. Like, I'm like, I don't want to use all these blood vials because if I die, it'll be all a waste. And that's the kind of, like, I don't like that feeling, and I don't like that aspect of the game it's been one of the most frustrating things for me because i think the replenishing the, the replenishing uh the estus flask style it, it i'm not afraid to use estus flasks because if i die I, I just i'm i start over and i'm fine yeah but now it's like every time my health is low i have to make this choice and when you're fighting a boss there's not a lot of time to think about it or anything and most of the time i don't know maybe i hesitate or something i just i i'm Getting killed in stupid ways for stupid reasons, and every time I die, I make it less far in the boss the next time I try through because I get frustrated. I try to do it fast. I I I just and I have to put down the controller after like just two or three deaths because I know that I'm just going to get worse from there on. And then I pick it up again, even like 24 hours later, and instantly like my first death, I'm like, well, here we go again, and I don't want to play it anymore. Right. And it dry. I, I never had that feeling with no. Dark Souls. I always wanted to com- that, to complete the that. I agree with totally uh, the healing system. Um, it's not that bad. Like I don't have to go back and farm that much, but sometimes you'll get back to in a corner where you have to do that. And it was just it was done fine in Dark Souls. Like the Estus system works perfectly. You you still have a limited resource, but you know once you make it back to a checkpoint. You get them back. If it does anything good, uh, it's that it makes the economy matter. Like I don't remember having to like ever buy much in in the other ones. Which I think it's interesting that you're doing more of that, and you actually buy your items, and you still find the the badges that let you buy them out in the world, but you still have to purchase. Them. I'm buying them because so, I I suck because I keep <laughs> losing them, and I don't I think I can't rely on the drops. Yeah, like. Yeah, that that was the most frustrating thing to me. Like when I have like ten left, and then I'm like, okay, if I die to this boss, I'm gonna have to go back to Central Yarnum and and blender through some yeah. people. And this problem um, would be so much less of a problem if the load screen, like going to yeah, the Hunter's Dream and back, absolutely. is a four minute process just because of the loading screens. And it, it's just, oh god, that pisses me off. I just want to buy them at the little lamp. And and then like yeah. that would be fine I think, but I, that, uh, yeah that would be that would makes a lot of sense and I've I mean I have a lot of thoughts about Bloodborne this review that I'm throwing together is it's sitting at forty five hundred words right now, um, so yeah that's I, I mentioned that um, if it dropped the ball on anything I think there's there's one thing well 
Okay. I think there's two things that it does worse than Dark Souls. And I think it does basically everything else significantly better. So the first is, like, the the load screens. Like, warping back and the way warping works in general. So yeah. if you're... Like, for example, if you are trying to fight a boss and you've been exploring the world and found another lamp and you light that lamp, now that's your active lamp and not the one near the boss anymore. And so you think, okay, I can just go back to the lamp near the boss and make that my active lamp and I'll respawn there. But you can't. To do that, you have to warp back to the hunter's dream and then back to the other lamp. And there's absolutely no reason why you can't just press A on it and respawn there. That makes zero sense. And there's, you know... It's so frustrating. You haven't unlocked that many lamps yet, so this probably hasn't happened to you yet, or maybe it has. But when you're picking which lamp to spawn at, if you pick the wrong one, it's fucking hell. Cause I've, and I've timed this. It's 45 seconds into the world. Oh, 12 fuck. Seconds, 12 seconds back to the hunter's dream, and then 45 more seconds back into the world. It, I don't know. I mean, so yeah, that is worse, I think. Yeah. The other thing that's worse is the PvP, I think. Um, I didn't get to try much of it when I was at home, and I think my university-restricted NAT internet's a problem here. But it's just... I, I think they dropped the ball on it. I, you, there's just not... First of all, if you invade, you lose 30% of your health. That coupled with hosts having 20 blood vials, you know, yeah, it makes yeah, things that's... really aggravating. And... Unless you're in some designated PvP areas, of which there are only two, and they're still filled with enemies that have to be cleared out, random person. If you're going to invade somebody's world, then they've rung a beckoning bell, which means they're also calling for co-op people into the world. So if you're not in those two places, odds are you're going to fight a, a group of people, which you know is sometimes challenging and fun, but only when it's rare in a series of one-on-one invasions. When that's the norm, it's not really that exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the two, like, objectively worse things. But the rest is just, you know, leaps better, I think. Yeah, and <clears throat> I I tend to agree. This is part of the reason that I'm frustrated that I'm finding myself not enjoy this, enjoying it so much is that I feel like I do enjoy the combat and stuff more, or that objectively it seems better uh but somehow i'm having less fun with it and uh, i think yeah, a I'll... lot of it has to do with me not figuring the systems out quite i i still haven't really figured out where the invincibility frames are on on a dodge because first of all it's weird that your dodge is different when you're locked on than when you're not and i feel like a sidestep is so much different from like a forward or back step it's just it's a weird it's completely different from what i'm used to and and that's throwing me off a little bit and then like uh, stun locking and stun patterns and stuff is really like confusing. Like I'll be wailing on an enemy and I'll stun them once, and then they'll do a really quick attack as I'm wailing on them. Like the, the, I haven't paused at all, and somehow they broke the stun, and I don't really understand how that works. And I, I'm still figuring that stuff out, and it's it, that's that's frustrating. And I I feel like it should be more fun than frustrating, but I don't know. Yeah, poise works differently. It it doesn't work the way it did in Dark Souls, uh, which I'm I'm kind of glad for. Basically, I mean, you, there, you can stagger lots and lots of enemies, enemies that you wouldn't have been able to stagger in Dark Souls. Uh, but once you get them staggered, you can't just wail on them until they die, like you could in that. You kind of have to take your few hits and then get back and get back to neutral. Um, well, 
I'll say that where you are at Vicar Amelia, it that was my stumbling block. And there's actually I don't want to spoil them for you, but uh, I'll at least say that the world opens up like significantly, like immediately after that fight. So it's yeah. like one of the it's i don't know what would you call it the root of a system of branching paths it's yeah i mean i've already noticed two other paths that branch off from there and i kind of went down a little bit into them but uh so i would say at least push through that boss like that was that was weighing on me that boss and just that area being in there so long and but it really when you beat it get back to me and i i I want to i want to clarify that part of my frustration it's it it's a compounding of various things that aren't necessarily that are probably very unique to my, to my experience with the game. Because first of all, I beat the first two bosses on my first try. No problem. Like I was, I Mm -hmm. beat the shit out of them. And, (laughs) and so I was like, well, I guess I'm good at this game. And then I got to blood starved beast and I, I I couldn't read his attack patterns. And I, I actually would criticize this part of the game. I, I, they they feel I feel like they they're obsessed with putting cloth or hair or something all over all of oh, their bosses. I love it. I, I love hate it. it because really? it disguises their attacks. I can't figure out what they're doing because it's just this blob of shit. And I and I, I I'm having a lot more trouble reading attacks than I ever did in the dark. Like, it was never really a problem. I, w- I was always very easy, able to uh, figure out an attack you know set from from bosses in, in Dark Souls and Dark Souls Two, and now. Uh, especially with these last two bosses, I, I feel like I don't really know what they're doing until it's almost too late to jo- to, to dodge out of the way. Um, especially with, with the Bloodstarred Beast, though. It's a it was a problem with Vicar Amelia for me. So, I've um, I fought the Bloodstarved Beast four times, and I fought Vicar Amelia three, or you know, beat them that many times. I've never died to the Bloodstarved Beast. It's just never happened. That's insane. To I've me. I've never had any trouble with it. It's just easy peasy. I can see it coming. But Vicar Amelia, when you get close, and I think the hair is a problem for me there. But I didn't I didn't have so much of a problem with Bloodstarved Beast, and I don't ever remember anything like that happening later. Uh, so. Well, and and I think these two bosses also uh, shine some light on some issues that I that I have just on a technical level with the game. One is the camera, and I've already heard people complain about this, especially people who are new to the series. Like, I feel like I'm lucky that I got through the, uh, what's supposed to be the first boss, the, um... Cleric. What, cleric Beast, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I'm kind of lucky that I got through that in my first try, because I've seen playthroughs where people's cameras are, like, going under the bridge practically, and, like, you can't see shit, and it's getting backed into corners. And that's happening to me a lot with Vicar Amelia. I'm getting, like, backed into a wall, and, like, I can't see what's going on at all. I don't know what attack she's going to do, because all I can see is, like, some feet or some hair. Yeah. And like, Norm- I can't figure out what's Normally going on. Normally I would care more about spoiling my review, but, you know, who cares? Um, I thought it was weird that the two bosses with the worst camera in the game are so close to the beginning. Like, in in basically every other game I've played, and you will probably find that this is true in your experience, that a lot of times the early bits are more polished, that they clearly had more care and time put into them. That was certainly yeah. true of Dark Souls 1. Yeah, definitely. Least. And basically every other game. Like, the first areas are very intricate, and then as it gets on, yeah. But there's no camera in the whole game, as bad as the Cleric Beast. Like, that is yeah. the worst. And the second worst is Vicar Amelia. Like, it's, it's strange. Um, I mean, the camera's not, you know, it's it's not, like, 
unplayable, but it's not good. With in time, at times with Vicar Amelia, it is unplayable for me. But, and I think part of it's like my desperate play style that I'm choosing, where I, I'm getting myself backed into the corners or her backed in the. Another issue I have is like I keep like I'm trying to get behind her, but she'll put her back to a wall. And I think if there's something that I'm doing, that I just I don't know. But the camera's driving me crazy in that fight, and uh, in Bloodstar Beast because they he jumps around so much. And so far, did, were, you, were you having trouble staying locked on? Like, it'll automatically unlock your, your aim from them? Uh, I don't... I don't really remember. I mean, I just... Yeah, you just beat the shit I out of it, I guess. I just blew through it each time. So Every time it would do it. the leaping attack, unless I was standing right next to it when it initiated that attack, or, or if I was standing close to it when it initiated that attack, it would uh, unlock the... the the lock-on system from it and then i and then like sometimes it would get like stuck between pillars and stuff where not stuck but like i couldn't even see where it where it went and and then i have to like relock on and it was just a it was a really minor thing that that ended up making me extremely frustrated but uh it, it's that's a it's i feel like yeah i feel like once i get through vicar amelia i'll probably be enjoying the game again but i i'm just so frustrated i'm i'm so tired of watching that loading screen for 45 seconds and then yeah. running through the same enemies and dying. Uh, sometimes lasting minutes and minutes and minutes in this boss fight that takes forever and then dying. And so, here's another thing that's built onto my frustrations. Well, okay, but while we're on that still, um, it does become less of a problem later, even though you still have to go back and do that farming every once in a while. Just because of as you go on, enemies drop more souls you'll be able to buy significantly more at yeah. a time. So it gets better. But I also yeah. only just recently discovered that it'll store stuff in the, you know, the storage or whatever that automatically replenishes every time you you die and you don't have to go back to Hunter's Dream. So I've started just stocking up really high and it's probably not going to be an issue anymore. But then I feel like I'm gimping myself from leveling up because I'm spending so much on blood vials and... I, I just don't like that system at all. I, I miss I miss the Estus flasks. I, I I had no problem with Estus flasks. Uh, I just I I wish they didn't do away with that. That's always been one of the main things that's kind of kept me away from Demon Souls is this idea of uh, of health items that that aren't well, replenishing. I think other people have said that this wasn't their experience, so maybe it's just me. But I remember playing that game and. People said that they had to farm for healing items. I never, ever consciously tried to go get healing items. I think part of that's because I was playing it kind of weird. And um, the, you know, there's like five worlds that you can go to. And you're supposed to not just go through one at a time. You're supposed to go into one and then come back out and maybe try another. But I was just trying to get as far as I could get in world one. And then there's a block and you have to kill a certain type of boss before continuing in world one. And so I did that in another world, and I came back, and I tried to just push right through to the end. And I didn't understand that this area I was going in was actually the last area of the game. Like, the final place in Demon's Souls, or the last real area, is World 1-4. So I was just throwing myself against that over and over, and i get healing items because the enemies there drop them. Um, but after that, I never had to consciously farm for them ever. This, I've, I've definitely farming is a regular event. And Bloodborne, Bloodborne dropped that little nugget on me. Um, I, I just, I was spoiled actually on the internet just accidentally. I mean, it was a really minor spoiler, I guess, and I, I ended up being very thankful for it. But when you first 
die from one of those things that carries the bags and it puts you in prison. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. That was so awesome. I love that one. It was cool. I didn't know that that was an area that I was not leveled for because I figured, okay, this is the next step in the game, obviously. And and then I go outside and just like the monsters are like incredibly hard and I'm going, this is, this can't be right. This can't be right. And I was just kind of reading online about Blood Bloodborne and, and just stumbled on someone mentioning that it dumps you onto like the last level of the game right that's at the beginning. True. It's uh, that's not even close to the last level. Well, it's it is over leveled though. It is, but very slightly. Like I think you could kill Vicar Amelia and then one other boss, and you might not even have to do that, and you could take that area. Yeah, I, I just I it's weird that they do that, and I I thought it was cool, but. If I didn't see that, I would probably be tr- still trying to go through that area <laughs> because I, I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be what I was doing. Although there, there is a hint that it gives you when you go to Hunter's Dream. It's like the third tombstone is where your is where that yeah. lamp is. So I probably would have figured it out, but still, um, it, it, it's just weird. I, it's, it, I still have never really appreciated, I guess, the uh, the idea of having to figure things out for yourself in these games. I, I like that to an extent, but the there is an extent that they go far beyond in my opinion. Like I, I do not enjoy some of the really obscure things that they don't teach you that are vital to the game. Like, like what? Uh, Bloodborne, it hasn't been a problem, but, but only because I'm experienced with those kinds of games. But I, but I've noticed, I've been like looking for like, okay, how do they, how have they changed this? How have they made it more uh, easier to understand? Like uh, stats and stuff. Uh, and they haven't, they haven't done anything to make that easier to understand. And so like, like in Dark Souls, I've mentioned this before, where I didn't know that shields could block elements, so fire and stuff like that. I didn't know that shields could block that, like, a lot. I, I thought that maybe they had a little more resistance to it or something, but I didn't know it was something that, like, you could just, like, put your shield up against fire and have it practically do no damage. So I was having all this trouble with the gargoyles because I was a, a, a heavy character and uh, and then found out that I could just block their fire because I had a shield that was, like, 90% fire resistant or something. And it was like... It doesn't really explain that to you it, it, unless you like go into that stat screen and 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 go into the hint thing and scroll all the way down and then look at it. and like even then it's just a number and you don't know if the number's a percentage or a rank or what it's it's bizarre i, I the way that it levels it ranks up weapons with a letter the letter system and stuff has never been very clear and how much that affects your weapon has never been very clear and like when it when your weapon has a plus next to it like a number with a plus sign does that factor into the total number that it shows or is that I mean, on top of the total number that like, wasn't that wasn't all clear to me at first but I, I remember never having to look any of that up like it just it came with playing it which i do appreciate a good deal um and i think that they did a pretty good job in adjusting some of the stats blood tinge and arcane are a little obscure when you're starting as they probably should be how the fuck do you equip a rune um i can't tell you yet and see i just i collect these runes and i've got a slot in my stat screen for runes and there is zero idea of how to equip these i don't know if i'm missing something in the game by not being able to equip these or if it's something that's going to come later and i can assume that's probably something that comes later but i don't know the answer to all of these questions is just don't worry about it and keep playing and exploring thoroughly. That's it. Yeah. Well, I, I just I get frustrated with that. I, I don't. I don't. I don't like that style. And uh, 
And I know that everyone in the chat's going to be saying, well, you're just not paying enough attention and you're not good enough. And it's like, fuck, fuck off. I, I, it's just not my style. I mean, if, like, I don't like if that. It's, if it's not your style, then the option is there to... I mean, if it's not something you appreciate, then you could just look it up. Yeah, definitely. And that's sometimes that's what I do. I try not to look up anything at all. Uh, but if it's something that I feel like I'm just completely missing, especially something like in the UI or something, then I'll usually look that up and try to figure out if it's something I'm, I, I am missing. But that's like my problem with Dark Souls is everyone was saying, well, you got to go blind, man. You can't look up guides online and stuff. So I, I had no idea that shields could block fire for hours. And it was like really, really crippling my playthrough. Uh I feel like people are going to have that same problem with, or are probably already having that same problem with Bloodborne, where they just don't know stuff about the game because it isn't explained very well. And I, like I said, the runes is a good example because I've thought this whole time that runes are something I should be able to equip right now, and I don't know how much I'm gimping my playthrough. Uh, I, 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 it's weird. I, I, I don't necessarily like that. But uh, it, anyway, I, what I was going to say that one of the things that really added to my frustration while fighting Vicar Amelia is I, I got to the point after just not even that many deaths, probably like four or five deaths where I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. I'm tired of it. And so I tried ringing my little beckoning bell and getting someone to come in and co-op with me and just cheese the boss. And it wouldn't connect at all. And I was waiting like minutes and minutes and minutes and it wouldn't connect to anyone. And I'm going, okay, this is weird. Maybe it's broken. And also like the specters, those never work for me. There's something weird on with the online stuff. I later figured out if you put your PS4 in rest mode, when you come out of rest mode, the online is broken, but only partly broken because you can still read messages, but you can't connect to other players. Yeah. And it's really that, weird and shitty. And I didn't know that it was happening. And so I used like five insight trying to, to, to summon yeah. players when I couldn't. That, well, okay, there's two things there. One, there's a whole bunch of obscure technical problems like that. that like, um, so one example, and this happened to me, I, yeah, I've got, I've got so much in this review that I don't mind talking about this stuff. Um, like, if you leave your PS4 on for 12 hours, uh, and, you know, not playing it, but if it's just on, um, then there's a memory leak that causes bosses just become fucking retards. Um, I remember fighting this boss that's supposed to be really this huge deal, and all it wound up doing is slamming its head into the ground over and over again and puking blood. Like it was the dumbest thing. Mm. It like limits bosses to like their most basic moves, and it's just the the weirdest issue. Why would leaving it on for twelve hours exactly? cause that kind of specific yeah, that's a- AI bug and like uh, and and the online is another one of those issues it's clearly been it's clearly a rushed game i think towards the end of development there were a few issues like that and like the loading screens hopefully the loading screens because i hope that's something that's fixable uh and and the online stuff that they probably knew about those issues but the publisher forced them to release it uh the only I, thing, that's annoying the only flaws i think that this game has that are flaws in theory and not like in the technical execution are a little bit the PVP, but my experience of that might be tainted by the online not working so much because of that. And uh, the other thing that's probably a problem in theory is the, the blood vial healing system. But beyond that, the only like biggie issues are technical load times and glitches did I talk about that elevator glitch? No, I don't think so. Last week? Okay. 
I think I did, but I'm just going to say it again. Um, so I was in the Forbidden Woods or someplace, and uh, there's an elevator. It's like a shortcut that takes you to a boss. And so I go into the boss room, and then my PS4 just... It, I don't know what happened. Like it just goes to one frame per second, and it's like stuck behind the fog door, and I didn't know what was going on. If you just keep walking forward, it's supposed to fix itself after a substantial amount of time, but I didn't know that, so I just tried restarting my PS4. And when I did that, the game loaded up, and then the shortcut elevator was broken. It just didn't work. Mm. You stand on it, and it wouldn't move, and it was broken forever. Like nothing fixed it. I, I turned it off. I I did everything. And if that had happened to, because there are elevators that you have to ride. Definitely. If that had happened to another elevator, I, I would have been fucked. And that's it wasn't like early in the game that I did this. Yeah, I don't. Whatever. It, yeah, it's, it's that, got technical problems at the. Yeah, end. the technical problems are annoying, and like you said, a lot of the the weird uh, design choices that they made with as, as far as like the game design. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm. I'm not going to stop playing it yet or anything like that. I'm I'm going to get through Vicar Amelia at least. And like uh, again, I I don't feel like she's a harder boss than the Bloodstarved Beast, but I'm having more trouble because I'm more frustrated for one, and I just want to get through it and I'm not having any fun. Although I kind of felt that way with Blood, Bloodstarved Beast too. But also that uh the boss has so much fucking health. They just they just stacked her with health. It, it's ridiculous. And I'm doing a, quite a bit of damage because I've I, I, it, it, it's it's just there's a huge health bar to get through and then she heals and it's just fuck that's not fun <laughs> that's not hard it's just frustrating and it just takes a long time it's tedious which is a, a recurring pattern with the game that i so i think part of my problem is that i i asked the question that i don't think any souls series players should ever ask themselves which is why the fuck am i doing this to myself because having to run through all the enemies or kill all the enemies before the boss and die and do it all over again is never fun to me. It's never It never has been fun to me. I've always thought that that was something that the series didn't need, even though everyone always says, like, well, that's just one of the things. Like, It makes it harder to... It makes, it, it makes the feeling of dying worse. And I understand their argument, but I've never... It's never been fun. I've always hated that. It and, is... It's less of a problem later. Like, I just remember specifically the run-up to Vicar Amelia... The the walk there just pissed me off for some reason, and I couldn't exactly pinpoint my why. Maybe it's because you have to weave between a lot of enemies on very tight staircases, and I just yeah. hated doing that. But um, basically everywhere else in the game, you open up a ton of shortcuts that make the trip back to the boss way shorter than it's been in any of the other games. That's been something I noticed is that usually the the trip to the boss is, is better than, say, Dark Souls. Like, like Ornstein and Smell... That 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 trip to that boss is always that was always really annoying to me. It's like just so many enemies to get through. It's very tight spaces that where a lot of them you can't really even just run around them, and and then you like jump off a railing. It's just ridiculous, and uh, and I haven't really seen one quite like that with, with the Bloodborne yet. But I, I, even even the shorter distance is still maybe just because of the loading screen. It, it makes it so much worse because you're you're doubling the amount of time it takes to get to that stupid boss. Uh, it, it drives me crazy, and, and then and then like uh, the the whole the whole get good meme just makes it so much more frustrating. <laughs> I, there, there's some things I like about it when like I, people say that because it's just funny, but like 
fuck's sake. It's not it's not what it's not a matter of being good or bad. It's a matter of being frustrated. I I, I get annoyed and uh, god damn it. Ah. And 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 I I also fuck. Ah, I had this feeling right at the beginning of the game uh with that first area where I've seen people play it for the first time who aren't even very experienced with the Soul series play through that area perfectly on their first run through and get back to the gate and back to the bonfire. And like I, it, it blows my mind because I had so much trouble with it and I think I think it's indicative of the kind of play style that I have in Souls games and in games in general where I'm kind of gung-ho and and I don't I'm not patient enough with it and it, it it's even worse with this one I think because I've I've got experience with two other games in the series and so I come in going like okay I know what I'm doing and then I I'm too confident about it and I get killed right away and so I know it's all my fault and that makes it even more frustrating but it's better than being the game's fault for sure but I also don't like the we talked about this last week but I don't like the design of that first area where they just packed it full of enemies it doesn't seem well thought out at all to me I I I, I didn't like that, uh, but I think, whatever. I think that it's actually incredibly thought out, and this I don't want to give away yet, but uh, a section of the review is just ex- in exhaustive detail talking about the first area and what the placement of those enemies um, does. Like, I'll give one example. Um, when you're walking down the the main road toward like where they're crucifying the big beast yeah and burning it that's my least favorite part it, well so what happens is you see a crowd of them and they're all there and they're very intimidating for a new player so at that point you'll probably think okay i don't want to just run at them maybe i'll go back and if you were observant and check to your right you'll notice the stairs that'll take you around them and let you be patient or you'll get shot in the back by the sleeping enemy that was there so no matter what Unless you just run straight into that crowd, you're gonna get told. Told you're gonna have the location of that stairway communicated to you in some way, um, and there are lots of examples of that. So, I would have to f- pretty strongly disagree with you there. I think. I, yeah, and I strongly disagree with you because there. you take that stairway up there, and there's it's a little bit easier to get close to that that mob, and there's you know a few enemies on the way that'll surprise you or whatever, and then there's like a few enemies. First of all, they're on patrols, so it's kind of weird. You you might hit them, you might not. But you'll be fighting them, and then you'll pull enemies from the mob, and they'll come up the stairs behind you and just surround you, and that's frustrating as a new player. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't have trouble with it, and I know that I wasn't a new player going into it. But I didn't have... Okay, I didn't I actually... Still, I, still, I still was cautious, and even when it was like four people, they, it was still manageable. Yeah, those enemies are pretty easy, and even even when there's multiple of them... Uh, the main reason, okay, I didn't actually have that much trouble with that mob. I, I I had more trouble like getting through the werewolves up on the bridge and stuff. It was the fact that every time I died, I had to get through that mob of enemies every single time. And for whatever reason, it never occurred to me just fucking run through them. I I, I felt like that wasn't how you're supposed to play the game, which is always the wrong way to approach a souls game uh and so every single time i spent like 10 minutes on that stupid fucking mob pulling enemies and trying to avoid the bullets and shit and then getting bit by a dog out of nowhere and i i just got so frustrated with that specific mob because i wasn't dying to it i was just having to get fucking through it every single time and i hated it i i I despised it 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 drove me crazy Anyway, anyway, I think I'm bloodborne out. I am, yeah, I am too, and I, I'm looking forward to your review because I, 
I, again, like I, I find myself agreeing with most of your most of the things you say about about the game, but I I'm not having fun with it yet. I, I'm having fun in areas, but not most of it. Um. Anyway, Jesus Christ, that took forever. Uh, lots of things to say about that game, and probably more things to come. Um, I know for a fact that we both we were talking about this before the podcast. We both spent a lot of time in our last week uh, watching movies and whatnot. And I, I want I want you to to talk to me about talk to me about what what, what you watched. Okay, so I saw um, there will be blood. I saw that on the plane when I was going back home for Easter. And uh, and I saw No Country for Old Men on the way back. Uh, both of those movies were fantastic. They came out in the same year too. So yeah, I always got those two confusing. Uh, those two movies really confused because they're so similarly titled and themed. I think. Um. From the trailers, I mean, I've never yeah, actually yeah, seen yeah. there. That, I've never seen too. There Will Be Blood. Before yeah, I'd I, seen them, they kind of looked similar-ish in tone and stuff. But they're very, very different movies. Uh, th- yeah, I thought they were. Well, everybody kind of this isn't a new opinion, but they're <laughs> fucking amazing. Um, there will be blood is a pretty, um, pretty intense exploration of the kind of capitalism and just you know sacrificing everything that could make a life happy, uh, and just you know. I can't fucking talk. Um, I'm burnt out on math. Talking about themes is kind of, you know. Um, but yeah, and then No Country for Old Men is more about just kind of moral disgust with um, with the way things are going and just being helpless in the face of it. I yeah, guess. it's a really existentialist kind of movie. Yeah, uh, both were fantastic. I think everybody should see both. Uh, they're great. But while I was on the plane... And toward the end of No Country for Old Men, um, this guy, uh, he was having some kind of medical emergency. It was unclear what it was, but he broke out into some crazy high fever, like 105 or something obscene. And um, they had to ask if there was a doctor on the plane, and um, they were asking everybody if they had any, like, liquid ibuprofen or liquid motrin because his throat was like closing up and they they had to get it down there um so it couldn't be pill form it was just yeah so that was that was like the last tenth of that flight um what what we did was well we i wasn't flying the plane you were the pilot landed us really hard and um we we didn't like pull all the way in to the gate we just kind of stopped there, and there was an ambulance right there, and then we went on to the gate after the person got out. But um, yeah, it was that was my plane ride, and I think I can't think of anything else I did. What did you? I know you said you watched The Wire. Yeah, I uh, I spent like all weekend. I, I I guess I was just video gamed out with Bloodborne and being frustrated with that, and so I decided, all right, I'm gonna spend the weekend just relaxing and watching movies and stuff. Um, and I pulled up HBO Go and just kind of browsed through that and kind of made a mental list of what I wanted to watch, what I had seen like previews for, heard people talk about and that I, I I hadn't watched yet and I needed to watch. And of course, first on the list was just finishing up The Wire, which I uh, I I got like uh I got like 85% of the way through that series and then just stopped because stuff was happening in my life that made me too busy to watch it. And uh and then I finally watched like the last like 5 episodes. Uh the ending is much 
better than I thought it was going to be because I was sitting there the whole time wondering like how are they gonna end this show like I knew I knew the kind of thematically what they would do but not not how they would actually like I didn't know if they would execute it in such a way where it actually felt satisfying and they did and I'm not gonna spoil anything but the wire is very good everything except for one thing that I'm gonna talk about you should you should watch everyone take notes if you're watching this podcast listening to this podcast take notes because I think that every single person should watch the wire. Uh, which is a huge commitment, and maybe you can put that one off a bit. Um, the Jinx, which is less of a commitment, uh, it's a documentary about Robert Durst. And uh, Going Clear, okay, no, you don't have to see Going Clear. Uh, what I actually wanted to say was uh, The Thin Blue Line. Uh, it's a documentary kind of like The Jinx in that it follows a murderer who... Uh, a really complicated murder case where someone might have gotten away with it and it was just kind of exploring that and and the the documentary actually changed the outcome of the the case um really? and uh and the same with the jinx like have you have you been reading like the news stories about robert durst no i, I had no idea okay yeah i'll just i'll just i'll, I'll set the i'll set the the setting here um <laughs> I was, I've been seeing all these news articles about Robert Durst and this, this murderer who for like 30 years has been convicted of murder or, or not convicted but accused of murder and never convicted. Um, and he was arrested like a week or two ago and, uh, and it was in kind of at the same time as this HBO documentary called The Jinx that was about him was finishing up. And, uh, and apparently The Jinx is what actually helped lead to his arrest and uh and so i had to see it because that sounded really interesting just to like see this this documentary that calls this guy to get arrested like what what the hell happens here uh it's a six-part documentary um like an hour each episode and it is really good it's really well made and it the story that it tells is just so fascinating and it and it just it it's kind of an exploration into like psychology i think not only of the murderer but of the people accusing him the people who believe him all this stuff uh it, it's really fascinating and 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 it's it's a lot like the thin blue line which i might have mentioned that on this podcast at some point but the thin blue line is also a documentary in the same kind of same kind of way and uh those two things i feel like are really enlightening uh to how humans work and how the court system works and stuff like that it you have to see those and and i i very highly recommend the jinx especially since it's kind of uh or extremely um topical at the moment uh Going Clear is another HBO documentary I watched, and it is uh, about Scientology. Uh, yeah, it, gotta love them. <laughs> yeah, gotta love those Scientologists. It it is very extremely critical of Scientology, almost to the point where I don't believe a lot of what it says, and I don't know if I don't believe it because the things that Scientology does are so crazy, or if because all of the interviews are with ex Scientologists, and so I'm instantly a little it's a little hard to believe everything they say when they're when i know that they've been a part of this crazy thing um and and a lot of the accusations they throw around are like really serious stuff that doesn't seem true uh but it is very interesting and 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 it kind of leaves it up to you to decide whether the stuff they're saying is true i guess but i didn't like it as much as the jinx i i I would i I can't just say that you have to watch that one um Um, you talking about the jinx and courts and stuff reminded me of something else that i watched and i can't believe that i forget forgot to mention this but um better call saul 
It actually ended two days ago. It was the finale of the season, the first season of the show. Um, wow, that that was. It turned out better than I was ex- even. Okay, I can't talk today. <laughs> it's really good. Like I, I don't ever remember being as like morally disgusted watching Breaking Bad than I was at a particular moment in season one of Better Call Saul. Um, it's really an impressively done show. I wasn't expecting the spinoff to... I thought it was going to be like a fun show. Saul is a funny character. It's going to be a little dark sometimes, but, you know, it's going to be lighter. But it's not. I think he knows how to write that kind of thing, and it just started pouring out because it's, it's really going into equally rich territory as Breaking Bad was. And I think one of the really interesting things about it is that even though both of them kind of chart a character's descent into, you know, becoming bad. But I, I, Walter White never really had, like, a, a a conscience. I mean, there were little fleeting moments of it. But his primary concern almost always was not getting caught and um, and keeping the lie together. Jimmy McGill is Saul's real name before he changes it. Uh he has a conscience. Like he he wants to do the right thing, but he's aware that he's really good at being sleazy and and you know and not above board. So it's it's more interesting, I think, that when he's faced with these decisions, th- like the conflict is happening in I don't know. I it's kind of hard to say this, but the 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 difficulty in making his decisions are related to the central theme of the show, which is this yeah. moral descent. And that wasn't necessarily true in Breaking Bad. I don't think Breaking Bad necessarily needed to be that way, but I think it's something that Better, Better Call Saul does really strongly. Um, yeah, at first I thought Breaking Bad was going to be the undisputed king and that Better Call Saul would have to live up to it, but I think Breaking Bad might actually be on defense now. It's too early to say, but for a first season, I think Better Call Saul is stronger than Breaking Bad's first season. Yeah, I've, I've heard extremely good things about it, and it also seems to be the kind of show that I wanted Breaking Bad to be. Not, I, I loved Breaking Bad, uh, but I always thought that Breaking Bad didn't quite it didn't quite go to the places that I wanted it to go to as far as thematically and... and uh, it, 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 like you said, it's more focused with, with Walt trying to... to get away from being caught and, 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 and manipulate people and less concerned with how does that affect him psychologically. And a lot of the times where when it started to look like he was being affected psychologically, a lot of the times it turned out to be just him being, you know, manipulative. And, and that, that, well, that was cool, but it was also just, it, 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 it isn't very interesting from a, the depth of character perspective. Right. Um, and it sounds like it, I, I've, I've heard other people's opinions on Better Call Saul too, and they're all pretty much saying the same thing you are that they're kind of blown away by it, and 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 it's setting itself apart from Breaking Bad in a really good way. Um, Absolutely, I, I do like it. Um, Mike Mike Ermintrout is almost this show's Jesse Pinkman, which and I like him a hell of a lot more than I like Jesse Pinkman as a screen presence. So yeah, it's 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 a great show, really yeah. great. It's better than I thought it could be. Speaking of great shows, uh, Mad Men, the last season of Mad Men has restarted. 
I I don't know why I, I started season seven. I watched one episode, didn't get to watch the rest of that first half. But now, literally, I just started downloading that other half right yeah. now as we were talking. It's so. um the first episode of the second half. It's it's not uh it's not the best. It's got some like it's got some awkward moments in it that I I can't figure out if they're intentionally awkward or if they're kind of just directed in a weird way that makes them awkward. But uh it. I don't know. I, I I am looking forward to seeing where they go with that, and I've I've always I've always liked Mad Men, and uh, the the same things that people criticize Mad Men for are some of the things I like most about it. Which is one of which is uh the really heavy handed like symbolism and 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 like in your face kind of theme- thematic structure it has. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, well, it's just not you know it's not subtle enough, and it's like fuck off. It's that's part of the appeal of it to me is that like it just slaps that shit in your face with like I, that's fine that's that's what they want to go for and i i i'm fine with that i people have this idea in their heads that something has to be subtle to be good and i i totally disagree with that um shakespeare was not subtle <laughs> or anything you know like it, it, historically even it, that's not that's not true um so I, I i'm looking forward to that um okay one last thing that i watched that i i want to warn people against watching because i heard good things about it Roger Ebert gave it a good review, and although Roger Ebert's uh, word isn't necessarily that great, uh, but uh, Contact. Have you ever seen Contact? No. It is a sci-fi movie from the 90s that I actually has, it. It has some big names in it, and, and, and it seems like it's quite high budget, like way higher budget than I thought it was in the first half of the film, and then like the second half of the film gets to the point where it's like, holy shit, they spent a lot of money on this shit. Um but I, I, maybe not never heard of it, but I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, I just knew it was a sci-fi film and that some people had compared it to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I loved, and Spielberg films in general. And So I had to watch it just because I was, whatever, in the mood for a movie like that. First of all, it's 150 minutes long, so Jesus Christ. It, I'm not going to, like, spoil it in case people do want to watch it, and I just, that I don't want to do that, but, like... <laughs> It, the ending, the ending, the last like 15, 20 minutes of the film are the stupidest fucking, most cliche sci-fi like shit in the world. It's, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil this part. And this is actually kind of a major spoiler. So if for whatever reason you're just determined to see this movie and you don't want it spoiled, you can close your ears for the next 30 seconds. They actually invoke the cliche of an alien uh, taking a form that is more pleasing to you. It, it, and it's just, that to me is like one of the like most cliche things in sci-fi is an alien going like, oh, I've taken this form to uh, because I thought it would be less shocking for you, and so I'm your dad or your brother or whatever. And it's just like fuck off. It's so stupid. And then and then there's a character in it, and spoilers are done because I'm not going to go into details here. But there's a character in it whose only motivation throughout the entire film that I can think of, he's the only antagonist of the film, really. And his only motivation seems to be that he just doesn't want the protagonist to succeed. There's no reason that he doesn't <laughs> want the protagonist to succeed. It's just that he was written so that the protagonist would have wait, an obstacle to overcome. Wait, I think I saw this movie. I, I did see you this movie. Would, I forgot about seeing it, I, but I, I saw I, it. I understand that you forgot about seeing it. Let me, let me look. I, I gotta see a picture so that I can be there's, sure. There's this guy in the movie. Yes, I've seen this movie, and I completely <laughs> forgot, and I yeah. wasn't, like, little. I re- the thing is, like, it starts out really strong, where it's talking about, like, it, like it's it's about these researchers who, you know, they're the guy, the people who 
put radio antennas up pointing to the sky and, and listen for alien signals or whatever. And then an alien signal finally comes back and it's just like a, it's like a recording yeah, of yeah. the, the 1936 Olympics and Adolf Hitler making a speech. And they're like, wow, that's, that's the first television broadcast that was, that traveled around the world. So it was the first thing like video to go out to space or whatever. But, um, that it was a little silly because it was ridiculous. Like how quickly they put together like the code and stuff to like, they got it up on a TV screen and they're like, this is the image they're sending us. And it's like, there's a lot of formatting that goes into making an image appear from radio waves. But I was willing to get past that, but then it gets into some stupid territory. Yeah, uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It gets ridiculous. But that one character was just, I, I couldn't get past that one character who just, he was the government authority figure who would come in and say, well, you're a liar. You're lying. You're obviously lying. Even though there's like evidence that there's, he's, they're obviously not lying. Yeah. The things that he's asserting are completely ridiculous. And but but he's the uh, government official who hates little scientist woman who wants just wants to be successful and just wants to be happy and he just wants to shut down everything and and then and then and then like they build this machine. I, God damn it! I can't avoid spoilers. They build a fucking machine based on schematics that aliens send them. The technology they don't even understand, and it's supposed to, like, let them travel to the aliens and talk to the aliens and shit. And they build the machine, and it works. And the end of the film has him, like, she's in, like, some kind of, like, court hearing, and he's saying, You're lying. The the machine never did anything. You made this all up, and it was all a conspiracy to get you fame or something. It's the most ridiculous argument of all time. It's He's asserting that someone came up with this technology that they'd never heard of only yeah. to play a hoax on the world just for the hell of it, because why not? And, yeah. and there's a Christian terrorist in the film. It has this faith versus science thing that is just way cliche. I, I mean, worse than like lost. Like it's just right in your face. Just like, but I believe in God, but I believe in science and I can't possibly believe in God. It's fuck God. That movie's bad. So don't watch it. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Uh. Anyway, um, do you want to talk Five Nights at Freddy's? No. <laughs> okay. It's getting a movie. Yup, Warner Brothers brought the rights uh, to make a Five Nights at Freddy's movie. There's not much other information, like there's no writers picked or anything yet. But oh, jeez, I mean. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> oh. Five Nights at Freddy's is like the epitome of everything wrong with uh, small-time developers becoming extremely successful. It's like milk everything, every dollar that this shit is worth and, and oh, fuck. The, the way that they like practically pay YouTubers to play their game, it, it's just... Mm-hmm. Do some research on Five Nights at Freddy's because there's some really sh- shitty stuff going on in that, 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 that franchise. It's all bad and there's just this blatant, we're going to thinly hide some creepy pasta in here so that you can make a community and talk about the game. But that's just a theory, a game theory. That guy, what's his face, Matt Pat. Has made a, <laughs> I have no a idea fucking, what you're talking about. A bunch of uh, his name is Matt Pat. Um, he, he's making these Five Nights at Freddy lore videos. Basically, um, they're so bad. It's all bad. I don't have anything else to say about <laughs> the body it's video bad. of Five Nights at Freddy's. Basically, um, 
basically. Yeah, we there's not much to say about it. I don't even know if the movie's actually being made or if they just they purchased so the far, rights. So, so far, so far they just bought the rights. And that's and that probably you know might have been a minor expense where they were just like, hey, maybe it'll work out. And so they the went ahead to the purchase. But... The rights to make a uh, Metal Gear Solid movie have been purchased for ages. So yeah, can... at, at least but think, at least I, I could picture I could yeah. picture a Metal Gear Solid movie. I can't I can't picture Five Nights at Freddy's. I can picture would... this kind of movie. It'll be some shitty fucking generic horror movie okay, jumping yeah. out at you. I, I guess I just can't picture it being good. Oh um, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so fuck that. Um, moving on. Uh, this this has been going on for a while, I think, and I don't know if there's actually been something that's updated recently. But YouTube has slowly been ro- rolling out this like idea that you can pay to not see ads on videos. Um, I don't know why you're the one that included this news yeah, story, so, so you you take it away. So basically, YouTube has announced that they're um they're planning a paid subscription. That'll remove ads from the site. So basically like YouTube Pro or something equivalent. Um, So on face, that's not that interesting. Like, I mean, clearly um, it it makes sense. You know, they get money from ads. If you want to remove the ads on their site, then if you pay them, they get their money. So they're happy. But because now this will be like a big monetization venue for them and that uh removing ads they want to sell this as something worth paying for i wonder if we're going to see some really strong pushback against ad blockers which yeah. i would dislike especially coming from google who would have quite a bit of influence because i love my ad blocker and um yeah i mean it, hulu kind of already does that uh i don't know i it's, who knows? Maybe they won't, and maybe it'll just be an option that's there, and maybe it'll give you some other nifty features that people would be willing to pay for. But it seems like if a big pushback against ad blockers were to happen with some crazy techno voodoo, it would be now. Yeah, and I, I it, they're in an interesting conundrum there because it's so hard to uh, put into monetary terms how much pissing off your your viewer base <laughs> matters you know so if you've got a certain amount of people which based on statistics i've seen which have been slightly skewed because usually it's like tech sites and stuff where the people visiting them are going to be slightly more in tune with a browser add-on that removes ads um quite a significant portion of the of the internet users uh, use adblock and so they could make a lot of money by probably pushing back against it um They'd also piss a lot of people off, and they have competitors that aren't—they aren't tiny. I mean, Vimeo is a thing that people use, and and then like all these social media sites are implementing their own video players and stuff that that don't need to integrate YouTube. And so I can see them being afraid of YouTube being yeah. a little bit, uh, you know, pushed out of the mainstream or or just losing a little bit of, you know, like you just have to weigh it, like how many people are you going to lose and how many people are, how many views are you going to gain. Uh, or how many ad users are you going to gain? And it, I don't know. They probably have a lot of people working on that, and, and I doubt that there's a and concrete would, answer to it. Uh, what would be interesting, and um, I don't think that our audiences would be representative of the total YouTube audience, but um, I'm actually going to go check my data 
and I'll maybe do that a little later. But how many people watch on like mobile devices? If you're if most people who watch the average PewDiePie video are loading up on their iPad or something like that, um, ads will play on that. There's no way to ad block that. So I wonder if they'll get enough people to do it because that's their primary YouTube use platform. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious. I mean, I I know lots of people like at work, for example, who pull out their phones and play music videos and stuff. And that's I'd say that's probably one of the main uh, sources of revenue for Google ads is music videos that people put on just to listen to the music. Um, those have millions and millions and millions of views, and, and they're all run by whatever the music video company that has all the music videos on YouTube is. Uh, what's it called? I, I, I can't think of the name right now. The, yeah, yeah. And, I was uh, actually... Um, I, I was checking... I was going to my YouTube channel to check that those numbers, and YouTube itself wound up giving me more details than this article did. Um, it says the, these changes coming on June 15th, so now we have a date, um, are going to affect your monetization, which I don't monetize anything, but I guess it's just telling yeah. you anyway. Um, but subscription revenues, this will how it how it will work. Advertising revenues are going to be 55% of net revenues that your revenues will work the same way. That however they decide your channel generated them, you get 55% of that subscription revenue. So I guess like the place, that's going to be strange. Um, the I guess like where you subscribe to YouTube from will affect something. And maybe that'll change. Maybe it's just where it. you're I'm viewing it. it. YouTube will pay you 55% of the total net revenues recognized by YouTube from subscription fees that are attributable to the monthly views or watch time of your content as a percentage of the monthly views or watch time of all or a subset of participating content in the relevant subscription offering. It sounds to me like they're just saying, we'll take how many viewers you have that are subscribers and give you the amount of money that you deserve based on what, like based on theoretically if they were watching ads, uh, even though they're not, which I don't know why they would have to word it in such a weird way because well, no, this <laughs> that's is, what you would expect them to do. This is, um, just, you know, you get the money from the subscription, but hmm. you get, it says you get 55%. Well, is this the, attributable to you? I don't is know. this when you make your channel have a subscription option? Because I've already seen that for a while now. There's some channels where you can subscribe no, to says, them to see more content or some shit. Because it says um, of a, or a subset of participating content. So I guess you just be part of the bigger thing. I don't know. I can't decide. Whatever. They, they make those things really obscure because... Like Nintendo's, uh, like Nintendo's recent YouTube po policies, they're written by lawyers who have no uh, concept of trying to write for a general audience. Um, right. <laughs> so maybe that'll become clear later on. But it, yeah, right now I've I've seen for maybe a year or two now at least uh, some big YouTube channels who uh, I I think that you can't watch all of their videos unless you subscribe or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. paid channels, fuck that. Yeah, that's it, it's weird to me that people are willing to pay for that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I say that and I, I do subscribe to Giant Bomb uh, for their premium stuff and I don't know, whatever. That's kind of the same concept. They mostly make videos. Uh, so whatever. 
Yeah, I I don't care either way because I don't monetize my YouTube channel because I'm not big enough to make any actual money off of it, really. <laughs> and I would rather just not not give a shit about it. Um, at some point, like when you monetize something, it stops being just fun and it becomes something that you feel obligated to do. And that's not yeah. I don't want to do that because I never fucking upload videos. <laughs> yeah, you probably um, get the feeling like, well, if I had just made like two videos last yeah. month instead of one, then I would have made like a little bit more. But if it was three, then I get the regular audience yeah. and that or, could be pushed it even more. Like you'd probably make yourself fall into the Justify it. And, yeah. Or this this video isn't all that great and I probably wouldn't release it, but I'm going to get 4,000 views out of it and that would be this much money. And yeah. Or yeah. Anyway. Uh, Towards of Eternity. What do you have to say about that? Okay. So... Uh, this isn't actually that big of a deal. Well, I guess, whatever. Um, so, Obsidian made a game called Pillars of Eternity. It's an RPG, and it uh, was on Kickstarter. And if you backed to a certain tier, you would get to have like a little poem included in the game. And so, one person wrote this poem. I remember this. It's, yeah. a, it's a memorial to Firedorn Ligethbringer. Uh, I think it's spelled wrong. Um, or it's just meant to be that way. But here lies Firedorn, a hero in bed. He once was alive, but now he's dead. The last woman he bedded turned out a man, and crying in shame, off a cliff he ran. That was the original poem. And then people blew up. Not immediately, but once the kind of SJW crowd got hold of it, they started cr- throwing around transphobia, that this game is transphobic and that this should be removed. And long story short, Obsidian basically caved to that pressure and they uh, they asked, they encouraged their uh, backer to change it um, or if they would cons- or if they wanted to change it. It was some obscure, basically they pressured, they caved to the pressure and pressured the guy. And so he did change it. And what he changed it to was this, Tarna Hemp, to both a friend and our dog, both life companions who saw the dignity in all people, regardless of how many limbs, color, creed, or language. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 I don't think, am I getting that right? I got, I got this picture, I didn't look too closely at it, it was, it was showing two of these poems, but, um, yeah, I don't think that was the one. I think what they're showing there is that it had, like, some inclusive thing as well as this thing. Anyway, just so just forget I said that, even though it is amusing. Um, basically, what they changed it to was some clever poem making fun of SJWs, which was kind of funny. Um, I, I, yeah, this isn't the right one. I'll just find it later, and we can put it up. But, yeah, it's worth Googling. Um... Yeah, it's a shame that they caved and that these people have legitimacy, or at least appear to. Nah. <laughs> Fuck those people, man. <laughs> I, actually, I, I do have watch. a. I do have. Uh, I wasn't going to mention this, um, but I had a very interesting interaction on Twitter with uh, you might you might recognize this name, uh, Jen Frank. It sounds familiar. It yeah, sounds oh, familiar uh, didn't because she, like, claim to quit. She she is the person who quit writing about video games and has since been the the one reference that people use to say 
uh, that people are being driven out of the industry because <laughs> I don't know of any other any other people who actually quit. Uh, and she was just a freelance writer who occasionally wrote about video games. But um, anyway, I she wrote a Guardian article that was said it was titled something like uh, "Video: How to Drive Women Out of Video Games" or "How to Harass Women." You know, it was just blatantly like. Gamergate's harassing women. Here's all the harassment that the women are getting. Here's how it's terrible. And look at Zoe Quinn and da 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 da. And this was right at the beginning of Gamergate blowing up. Um, I, that article. I mean, going back, I I kind of skimmed through it recently after I had this interaction with her on on Twitter, and I was just like, oh fuck, I hate everything about that article. Um, but I had a decent conversation with her on Twitter. She was very nice, and we talked about uh, we talked about. I'm reading it now. It's a really long conversation, and I wouldn't bother reading it, honestly. But it was just fun. It was interesting because I saw her tweet something like how it's uh, it's a sad state of affairs that we need video proof. And not to get political here, although I don't think this is political, really. Uh, we need video proof of police acting violent against citizens uh, in order to, you know, in order to believe it or something like that. And I was going... So are we supposed to just accuse people of murder without evidence? And then that launched into this big conversation about, you know, police violence and evidence in court and da 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 da. And she, and it turned out that we kind of had a very similar opinion on the whole thing. Uh, and and it was actually kind of interesting having a conversation like that with someone who I only knew from an article that I absolutely despised. And at the end of it, I told her. I, I hated your, your Guardian article, but it, we still had this cool conversation, and so maybe maybe the internet actually isn't so such a bad place. Um, but basically, what I want everyone to do is harass her. <laughs> Get on Twitter and just send her Get terrible her harassing. That's what, I, that's what I'm doing. Force that's her, what I'm saying. Force her back into um, video games. I had a sweet conversation with someone who seems pretty cool and who I disagree with strongly about Gamergate. Therefore, you should uh, you should harass her. Uh, it, it, she's a bad person. Um, anyway, I just thought that was worth mentioning because it was, it, it's the first time like I've actually ever really had a conversation with someone who I would consider, she, they, they, she might not consider herself this, but I would definitely consider her a social justice warrior just based on that one article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I look at that article and after reading it, I say, there's no way that I could possibly relate to or have a decent discussion with someone who writes this kind of thing like it, 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 my our views our our perspectives have to be so skewed out of whack from each other that there's no way we could have any conversation with each other that would actually like be decent and turns out we did so there you go everyone can feel good about themselves now that's pretty um, nice i mean it's yeah. nice to hear a story like that because uh, it was starting to feel like these people to use that language <laughs> to further keep them at arm's length, but it just there never seemed to be legitimate discussion like ever. And yeah, this wasn't a discussion about Gamergate. You guys were having. Yeah, part of the reason but, that it was that right. it was civil was because it was about something that we we did but kind of least, agree on. At least people with these kinds of very radical, progressive, um, and. I, I, what, what would be a good way to describe someone who is very, um, very much in favor of, I guess, lessening burden of proof in favor of protecting victims? I know you... exactly what you mean, and I, 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 
I, I guess social justice warrior. Um, that is one of their one of their. I'm, like I'm trying to trends, find a way to yeah. say it without without you know, sounding like a fucking on it, which I yeah. want to do, but just what they. I know what you mean because I, I I hate the term social justice warrior, but just because the people who tend to use it are tend to be the people who just. Right. That aren't good at actually like expressing an opinion or don't have good opinions and, and so it kinda of ruins the term. But uh yeah, I don't know. People don't I think people generally know what you're saying though. Because uh, yeah. I, I see that all the time. Especially on like Twitter is politically the most obnoxious place on the internet, like to me. I, I partly because I spend so much time on it that I see it all constantly. But like any major event that happens in which someone has committed a crime, especially if it involves race, but not race, exclusively. Police. Right. Yeah, the the hot topics. Uh, you get on Twitter and people will be like, this person should lose their job, this person should be uh, uh, put in jail, this person should be executed. And they have zero evidence that the person's actually guilty, but they're sitting here calling for them to be punished. And not, not, just, not just accused, but punished. Uh, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And, and, and of course you get the stuff where it's like, Everyone who disagrees is a harasser or a troll or a or yeah. one of those kinds of people, you know. And uh, yeah, that that favorite, stuff pisses me off. One of my favorite tweets to come out of Ferguson was yours, where it's uh, I think the way you said it was, "Hey guys, what if the cop wasn't racist?" <laughs> <laughs> Just a possibility, you know. I mean, it's, it's like possible. Either, it's like wow, this. This uh fucking punk, he's robbing and he deserved what he got. Or oh, this racist cop, he just wanted to kill a black kid and get away with it. But what if, what if he just, <laughs> what if he wasn't racist? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I like my own tweets too. Um, it, that's don't actually... worry, the rest are shit. But <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes I can't help but comment on the stuff that Twitter gets hysterical, hysteric about because it's nice. Like I like to tweet about that stuff and have people agree so that i can just reassure myself that no the entire internet is not this way there are some people who are just the silent majority who just say like this is fucking stupid uh it's just you you get that that loud minority gets a really really big voice on twitter because then you get trending and all that shit and so yeah you you get a really skewed perspective of what the general populace actually believes uh and goddamn social media is weird basically yep I remember uh, a couple days ago, this doesn't really have like a, a point or an argument I'm trying to communicate, I just, this happened, um, I think it was Black Girls Rock was trending, and then when I clicked it, because it sounded like it'd be funny, just like a whole bunch of self-affirmation, and, uh, and all, so many of the tweets I was seeing were from... Um, from black women who were pissed about something called hashtag white girls rock. This happens was, all the time. Which was Twitter. meant to be, which they were saying was like this pushback against black girls rock by um, white people who won't let them have their, their fun and their empowerment. But then I clicked uh, hashtag white girls rock and I, I kept reading and I kept reading pages and pages and it took me like 400 tweets before I actually found a, a single tweet using that hashtag that wasn't a black girl saying white people are doing it. Like, so I kept reading then, and it was that way all the way through. So what happened was, and this is more an observation about Twitter than about, like, 
black girls. But <laughs> thank God, these, <laughs> we these don't people, want to get into that. These people like convinced themselves that something bad was happening, and they got all riled up about it about something that didn't exist. They they created this controversy. It was it was funny. It was so funny. Yeah, to that's read that, that is a constant trend. Excuse the excuse the term, but that is a constant thing that happens on Twitter where there'll be a trend that is seemingly really really offensive. And the only reason it's trending is because a bunch of people are tweeting about how offensive it is. And you have to just like, you have to go so deep down to find yep. anyone actually using it in an offensive way. And everyone's like, I just can't believe people think this. And look, it's trending and everyone's, everyone's talking about this. And it's like, no, everyone's just offended at it. Uh, Twitter is a funny, funny place. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've mentioned this before when there was a, a table at a PAX panel, which, 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 in which yeah, in which 13 year old girls were not allowed to hug their their youtube idols uh, and there was a trend about it um it is important to occasionally click on twitter trends and just see how stupid and ridiculous the the world is and it'll you know it'll it'll put things in perspective for you a little bit because you'll see some really stupid shit on twitter trends it's very entertaining uh, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. uh so anyway um do you want to mention? Do you want to talk about? I don't want to. I don't have any. I, I don't have anything to talk about the uh, the latest Nintendo Direct. Oh, oh. Um. Okay. So there actually is something else to talk about uh, as well related to it. So Nintendo had a direct. They do these instead of you know announcing lots of stuff at press shows like E3, um, but they announced when Mewtwo was going to be added into Smash 4, which is something that they announced before that they were working on this Mewtwo character. He wasn't done yet. He'd be added in later as DLC. But then just out of nowhere, and it literally says in the trailer, um, Lucas from Mother 3 and uh, and um, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, in Japan, he is the most demanded character to get in the game. Like, everybody there wants Lucas in the game. It's amazing. Like, it's huge way bigger than i thought it actually was and in the trailer when they bring him back the first thing that happens is you see ness get beat the shit out of by every character in the game and then lucas comes to save him and it literally says lucas comes out of nowhere <laughs> that, that was the trailer text um comes out of nowhere. yeah and then after that they made a public um let me get the thing i might even link it in the chat actually we can't because the links are broken that's right anyway they they made a public poll where anybody can suggest any character they want to be in the game i saw it so so not only are they adding in lucas now but they're clearly going to be adding more in the future um this is awesome i think because you know like the one thing that every smash game has like the change that i want to see in all of them is oh if, if they only had that character and that's i think everybody's like that like oh that would be so cool if this character yeah. was in the game that would be something i would pay for i would pay for every character basically um yeah i'm i'm excited to see more smash characters yeah i hope that their voting system is actually indicative of them like listening to that system to create new characters because i i i heard about it a little bit and it seems to me like there's absolutely zero guarantee that they're actually even 
going to consider any of the votes to actually be made. Um, there's no winners or anything. Like it's just a voting thing. If I had a hunch, um, if I had a hunch, they have like a short list already, and you know they can't make all of them at once because it takes too much effort. So they're going to use this as a way to see, oh well, which of these that we're considering already has the most demand. But aren't there write-ins? Like, can't you just like write in a character uh, that you, you want to see? There's only write-ins. That's the only way to do oh. it. But I think if if I had to guess, that's part of why they're doing this. That they have some that they're considering, and they want to know which would be the most worthwhile to make. I uh, I, I heard. Most... You, you go ahead. I, I heard that. Um... One of the people that, one of the characters that was getting voted a lot was uh, Brock Lesnar, which, which would be a pretty good addition to uh, Super Smash Brothers, I think. Cast your vote. <laughs> I mean, it's sillier than all the other characters in that game. Um, <laughs> That'd be I pretty mean, great, though. Brock Lesnar doing wrestling moves on uh, <laughs> on Nintendo characters. The, uh, the best thing, or the most interesting thing to come out of this, is Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox at Microsoft. Um, he tweeted, I think it would be cool if Banjo was in the next Super Smash Brothers DLC. We've mm-hmm. worked with I Nintendo on Rare IP before. No issues. That would be fucking great. That would be yeah. so cool. And everybody would love that. Almost guaranteed not to work because I, who who owns Rare now? It's not Nintendo. It's Microsoft, and he's the yeah. head of Xbox. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe then. Who knows? I mean, who knows if Nintendo's interested, but he seems totally willing to do it. Yeah, that'd be that'd actually be really cool. Because um, this, because you know, that was a Nintendo character at first, or I guess still kind of. But... That'd, that'd be cool. Yeah, I, I hope I I don't know. I I have no idea how likely that is, but I really hope that happens. Yep. Uh, let's see. What was the other piece of news, or was that the other piece of news? Um, that that was. And before we move on, they might not do it because it's so similar to Duck Hunt Dog. Mm-hmm. Or the yeah, dog, the play style the, or whatever would the be the dog with the duck on its back. Yeah, and banjo with it's almost like, on the back. Like it's almost like mm-hmm. they made the duck hunt dog with the idea that it could be banjo kazooie, and maybe they couldn't get the rights to it or something. This is complete conjecture, but like now that you now that you say that, like that would be absolutely the perfect banjo kazooie style of of play. Like and 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 like. I don't know. I, I'm not super familiar with the move set, but from what I've seen, you could easily translate that over to Banjo Kazooie. Maybe they'll just said, maybe it'll just said, be a skin pack. Somebody said Conquer would also be a good one. I, yeah, that'd be I don't cool. think they. I don't think they're gonna. They're definitely never gonna Conquer get that. from that'd Conquer's cool. Bad Fur Day in a Nintendo game. Not yeah, now, that's, that's definitely not gonna happen. Uh, and 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 Master Chief. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> that'd be so funny. <laughs> I you almost do that. wish that like all these like publishers would just say fuck it and let so their characters be in this. the Smash Brothers game. Like Smash Brothers has always been the crossover game. There's n- there's no crossover games that are that exciting, at least not to me, because there's stuff like Marvel versus Capcom, but then it's like comic books and video games that really aren't that iconic. Yeah. Like, I mean, Nintendo is just everything they do is iconic because they only make. They only make sequels to games that succeed, and then they make a billion sequels and burn them into your mind. So, I mean, Mario, Donkey Kong, all of them are are classics, except mm-hmm. for like a couple. You know, almost every character on the Smash roster is like this huge figure from wherever series they come from. So that that excitement 
is always there. It's like, ooh, what 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 other great character could they add from this other series? Well, a few years ago, Sony was doing that Smash Brothers clone uh, that ended Jeez. up not being very successful or not very good or both. Um, it, I like the idea though of more either more publishers doing that or. What what I would really like is, uh, and uh, legally this would probably be extremely hard to be funded for, but um, create a fighting game and all the characters that you can't get licenses for, you make little parodies of, like <laughs> not quite that character, but obviously that character. Uh, I think that would be, I think that could be really fun. Um, like have a Master Chief guy who's just <laughs> obviously Master Chief, but you can call him like, I don't know. Masturbator or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. God, now now that I say it, maybe I, I that maybe like, that's a terrible idea. Crossover games. I mean, the the idea of them. A lot of the the characters from these series, the tone is way different from series to series. Like, um, S- Snake was in Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Yeah, and the yeah. tone of Metal Gear Solid <laughs> is vastly different from the tone of Pokemon, but it works because. The way Smash Brothers works as a game, its mechanics are just, that's all you're meant to think about. It's a very abstract type of thing. Yeah, and you're just putting the character in there. You're not putting any of his context in there. You're just putting the character and putting him in a very silly situation where you don't have that dissonance because it's not even relevant. Yeah, and the other thing that it works with is kart racers. Like, I don't think anybody would care if characters from different stuff were put in a kart racer because it's not like they're trying to do anything thematic or, or tell a story that way but it kind of creates a problem because sony's game was just fucking a clone of smash brothers and everybody said that i don't think you'd be able to make another crossover game that wasn't like fighting or some kind of silly racing you know like it has to it has to be a very specific type of game to pull yeah there's crossover. not a lot of I think genres nintendo's really claim that market yeah, I mean, unless you, unless you, I don't know. There, there have been a lot of games recently that are kind of like competitive. I say competitive, but like, what do they call them? They call them couch co-ops. That's it. And even though most of them aren't co-op games, they, that's what they call them. Uh, like, um, God damn it, what's it called? The the one where you're like dueling uh, and moving. It's like a two D game that you're dueling. It was popular a couple years ago. But anyway, uh, I I came up with a horrible idea that I'm. I don't actually. I'm not sure I really want to say now. Let's do it. Let's start a, if, if let's start a video game fault, company. Let's do it. If it was ever my fault this happened... Uh, no, we I should make it happen. I forgive myself. Um, a crossover MOBA. <laughs> let's make it and happen. You know what? And you know what? I think it will happen. Like, uh, it's, almost it's, definitely. It's well, maybe not necessarily a crossover. Happen. It already like happened with DC. Well, it Blizzard kind of does that. With DC. Um, what's it called? DC Infinite Crisis. I knew I didn't come up with that idea. Thank God. I'm so glad that didn't come from my head. Um, but yeah, they, they made a MOBA that's like DC characters. Okay, I feel I feel um, washed of sin right now, so that's good. What about a first-person shooter where you, uh, you choose your character from various video games? And you can uh, buy them for 99 cents. Yeah, in the cash shop. Yep. And you can swap the hats out. Like you can, put, you can oh, make Master cute. Chief have a Mario hat. Um, that'd be really cool, and you can see his face. Um, so anyway, we're gonna start a video game company, and we're gonna do a licensed or unlicensed parody game. Not necessarily fighting. We'll have to we'll have to come up with something truly unique. Uh, Black Puzzler. Um, a Connect Three, a Connect Three game. 
and instead of rubies or candy, it's characters from your favorite video game series. Anyway, that's been a podcast episode. <laughs> Push Shout Pod Show episode 24. <laughs> uh, no, there's no Q&A because at least one of us or both of us is going to do an after show where if you want to ask questions in chat, I'm sure we'll we'll see it. So, uh, Yeah, tonight I'm not going to be able to do it. Just heads up. I figured because you're probably going to go nap or something. I will do an after show on hitbox.tv slash the Skippy Sigmatic and, uh, and you can join me and ask me questions and I'll answer on behalf of Brutal Compounder. And, um, answer on behalf. Yeah. And, uh, and you can quote, you can quote, you can quote me on these things and, and, and put, put his name next to it. Uh, anyway, so yeah, head over there. If you want to see some more shit, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, probably not mass effect this time because I don't feel like it. Did you finish that? Nope. First one? No. Um, still working on it. Okay. So anyway, I, that'll start in a couple minutes, and uh, and if you're just an audio listener or listening to the recorded podcast, uh, see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>